This program is a part of the Full Press Radio Network. Find this and all of Full Press Coverage's shows on fullpressradio.com or free on the Full Press Coverage app, available now on the Apple and Google Play stores. This is Charles Woodson. And you're listening to the eye test for two. Well, happiest of New Year's to you guys, Iron Ian, uh, and everyone listening to our first eye test for two podcast of 2022. Now, we've been in the new year less than a week. And already we've had a litany of newsworthy events. Uh, Irony in, we've had Antonio Brown's meltdown, for instance. The Chiefs losing. Ben Roethlisberger playing his last home game in Pittsburgh. That was a good one. And the Bengals winning their division for the first time since 2015. But guys, I'll be honest with you, and I think you would appreciate this. All of that to me pales in comparison to what happened last Saturday, last uh, weekend. And that was the passing of former coach and player Dan Reeves at the age of 77. Now, I could tell you, and so could Ira, plenty about him, how he appeared in nine Super Bowls or won nearly 200 regular season games or was a two-time coach of the year and one of only eight head coaches ever, ever to make it to four Super Bowls. But, you know, Ira, I ask, why should we do that when we have someone who's so much more qualified with us today who can tell us much, much more than that. And that's the Denver Broncos, former VP in public relations and good friend of ours, Jim Sakamano, who joins us today from Ira and Ian, get this, Alaska, Alaska, en route to the Arctic Circle. Sako, how you doing? Cold up there? Oh, my goodness. It is cold, gentlemen. Thank you very much for having me on. Well, Sako, what takes you, first of all, to the Arctic Circle? Why are you up there? Well, um, my wife and I like to travel some, and we sort of have a list of things we want to do. And like a lot of people, we've always wanted to see the Northern Lights. And it's one of those things that you have to do in a winter month uh, at a time that's not necessarily cold, but a time that's clear at night, and it's the winter. That's all there is to it. So you're here in the winter in Alaska, and we kind of looked at where you go to see them and so forth. And... uh, we're in Fairbanks, and uh, last night we um, we had got picked up by a van and went uh, far out into the country. I'll tell you the truth. It was one of those things that when my glasses fogged up, um, I, I had to take them off because it was ice. I couldn't, I couldn't wipe them off. It was ice. And I was a little concerned as we walked into this large field. If, if I hadn't been within 10 feet of the person in front of me, I'm not sure I could have... Uh, kept track of where I was. So so how did you see the Northern Lights without your glasses? Well, they're big. <laughs> I can see them. I mean, you can see them. They, they dominated the sky. And uh, we also had a tour guide and we took photos and I've got, I've got documented proof, if you will. It's staggering, stunning. Uh, but we did see the Northern Lights. It was great, Clark. Thank you for asking. Good. Oh, and last question on this. Uh, what's the temperature there, Sako? Uh, minus 20 to minus 30 below. 
Hey, Ira, what's the temperature in Tampa today? Going to be 72 today, Sacco. <laughs> 72. Just uh, 100 thanks. degree difference. <laughs> Ira, all I have to say is same to you. <laughs> hey, uh, Sacco, um, getting back to Dan Reeves, um, you wrote a story on Monday for the Denver Broncos website talking about the greatness of Dan Reeves as a coach and a person. And I think we all know or should know about the greatness of Dan as a coach. But can you give us an example of the greatness of Dan Reeves as a person? You knew him for so many years and you have yeah. several examples there, but could you give us one? Well, you know, and, and I do think, and I think we all agree that uh, uh, there are people in life who, if they're great uh, in one way, they're great in another. And I think that what he was as a person kind of reflects how he was as a coach. Our first training camp, we're in Greeley, Colorado, the University of Northern Colorado, and we come back from practice in the morning and the beds aren't made and stuff. Well, we didn't think much of it. Went to lunch, went to practice, came back, the beds still were not made. What was this? So uh, somebody brought it up and uh, Dan asked our GM and the GM said, um, well, we made a deal with the university. If they make the beds every other day, we save you know a lot of money. And Dan said, oh, I see. Live like pigs, play like pigs. And the next day, the maid service was back to normal. He was, uh, he was absolute, and all the things that he was absolute about uh, reflected the values that, generally speaking, I think we'd all agree we were just of the best kind. You know, uh, I mean, he once uh, paid for the services, the funeral services, of uh, a former New York uh, Giants uh, uh, custodial employee. And this was after, after he was no longer the head coach of the Giants. He was, um, well, as, as I said in my article, that, um, you know, I was with him before he signed his contract with the Broncos when we flew him in. And uh, when he left, when he left, he stood in, his, in my doorway and said he was leaving and shed tears. And not too many people be they journalists, coaches, players, or whatever, cry when they're leaving. He, he was something, uh, and we know his record. His record is certainly Hall of Fame worthy. That doesn't mean he's the only person who's left out. I'm just saying he's Hall of Fame worthy. Uh, Sacco, um, one of the overriding uh, storylines uh, of Dan's tenure uh, in Denver uh, is his relationship uh, with John Elway, uh, you were uh, Jim. You you were an eyewitness. Uh, tell us about the arc of that relationship and uh, how it started and how it ended. Yes, uh, I thought that the Elway Reeves relationship was uh, two stubborn, stubborn individuals who were both extraordinarily talented and wanted to win. And uh, it reminds me a bit of those uh, those nature footage we've seen of two mountain goats uh, butting heads. And you think, I don't know how this is going to end, but these two guys are determined to just butt heads and, and you, you know, you, you cringe when you watch it. But not in a bad way necessarily. The uh, Chuck Donald, Terry Bradshaw situation is the one that, in my opinion, has been the closest to, to that, um, or maybe even more so. You know, the two guys who really wanted to do it their way, really wanted to win, and both had a lot of talent, and and, um, and there we are. But I can tell you, when 
Dan uh, went into our ring of fame about five or six years ago, and he was in Denver. He and John sat down for like 45 minutes in John's office, and it couldn't have been more charming. You know, it's one of those things that in the heat of battle, boy, they uh, each one wanted to do it his way, and each one was not a guy you'd argue with, boy. They could pierce, okay. those, pierce you with those eyes, Ira. Jim, uh, from uh, Elway's uh, point of view, as much as you can determine, Jim, uh, the Broncos were very successful. Uh, Jim, it wasn't like they were going uh, six and ten. So, no. what, what was Elway's frustration at that point? Oh, I think he wanted to call the plays and he wanted to do it his way. Uh, you know, because uh, and Dan, Dan did call the plays, and uh, uh, you, you know that was. That may, I won't say that was it, but that was a big part of it. Uh, we were the only AFC team to go to the Super Bowl three times in the decade of the 80s, and also the first of those teams, the only team actually to go to the Super Bowl in the 80s without a skilled position uh, pro Bowl player other than the quarterback. So, uh, you know, the, the the reputation of both is uh, secured at this time, but uh, they, they were competitive. And Jim, in your opinion, which which was the best Bronco team under Dan? Was was it '84? They went 13 and three. '86, '87, '89, '91. What what was the best Bronco team? I would say the '86, '87 teams. They could have won the Super Bowl in each of those two years. And uh, I won't bore you with the details of uh, of like the one in Pasadena, but the first one, '86. Uh, in the second quarter, our wonderful guy, Rich Carlos, place kicker, uh, set a Super Bowl record for the shortest uh, shortest field goal miss in the second quarter. And then in the same quarter, broke his own record. <laughs> so we could have we could have legitimately, I won't detail it to you, but we could have legitimately had a 20 to 7 halftime lead over the Giants. And then in the second, the 87. Oh my gosh, we were leading 10 to nothing. And, you know, I can still remember like it was yesterday. Bobby Bethard walks toward me in the press box, not casually, but like purposely. And he, he looks me right in the eye and he says, You guys are kicking our rubs. And I swear to heaven. And he turns around, and walks away. And from that moment, nothing good happened to us in the second quarter. And uh, <laughs> the Redskins were the lowest scoring team at that time to go to a Super Bowl. And they score like 35 points in the second quarter and uh, beat us. Sounds like the second quarter. Those were really good Bronco teams, though. They they were. Yeah, it sounds like the second quarter was the bane of the Broncos' existence in the Super Bowls. (laughs) Well, that's very well put, of course, until you got to a decade later. But uh, but you still had Elway and you had Shanahan. uh, uh, Boy, we've been fortunate to have some marvelous teams. You have, and, and marvelous players. Uh, we're with uh, the marvelous former Broncos VP, Jim Sakamano, on the eye test for two in Sacco. Uh, you have a favorite Dan Reeves anecdote, uh, favorite memory? Oh, I have, I have so many. Um, you know, as a tribute to uh, Tom Landry, he always wore a jacket and tie on the sidelines. And he always looked really, really good. And the tie was always orange. He always did that. Um, you know, I, I just think of so many. But sometimes they're off the field. Uh, my adult now, of course, adult daughter, daughter got a job at Goldman Sachs, and uh, she, she moved to New York. And I, I talked to Dan occasionally on the phone. Uh, 
and I called him, and uh, when I told him, he said, hey, hey, here's my number. Jennifer needs anything at all. Anything goes wrong. Anything. Call me, and we'll deploy whatever from the Giants, and we will uh, send a car for her. Anything she needs, we'll take care of. And I thought, you know, just such a wonderful individual, and um, he was that. You know, he could um, he, he could set a nickel on the edge of a table and then set a coffee cup on that table about a foot away and ask you uh, if, if you thought he could get that nickel into the coffee cup without touching it. Of course, you because we're smart guys, we take that bet in a minute. Well, then he would get down on his knees, put his, his upper lip on the pa- table, and he would blow really, really hard. And with that burst of air, that, that coin would fly into the air, land in the coffee cup. I am uh, so glad you remembered that because I was on those AFC West junkets and you recall uh them well, Sacco, in the 1980s. And you came down to San Diego and we went to uh, Casa de Buffy and uh, George Pernicano's place. And Dan Reeves did that and money was exchanged. People were betting like there's no way it's going to happen. And damned if it didn't happen. (laughs) This guy's unbelievable. (laughs) You know, he also... He could uh, he could drop a golf ball on the concrete, and when it bounced up, catch it on the top of his palm, on the top of his hand, which was made into a fist. Now, this sounds easy, but you try it; it's it's very hard. The ball's going to land just right. Uh, anyway, Sacco, he saw Sacco. That happened that night too. That happened that night too. Well, so after that, Nick Canepa and I both tried to bounce a ball and catch it on our on the top of our hand. We couldn't do it. <laughs> no, now. When, when he saw it done at a golf course or something, he said he came home and he stood in his garage and he did it hundreds of times until he got it done. This was a, this was a stubborn, disciplined man that, uh, you know, if he said he was going to do something. Now, I think there's a singular, here's a, two plays in his life or two things in his life. One, he's the head coach for the drive, which was incredible. But then I, he had a single, single play that I think is Hall of Fame worthy uh, when you look at the, the whole career of, as a player and coach. And that was, of course, the 50-yard pass in incredibly inclement conditions to Lance Rental for a touchdown, first play of the fourth quarter, the Ice Bowl. Uh, boy, there, there, haven't, there haven't been many like him. Uh, you, you know, he told me how when he was a young man, uh, you know, he couldn't walk the first years of his life. His mother did nothing but carry him. And I don't know what it was, but they said, yeah, he'll never walk. Uh, anyway, she put him down at the age of five or six after carrying him all that time. And he took off like a, like a banshee. And, um, and that was something. You know, he wanted to go to Georgia. He's a Georgia boy. No scholarship. Gets one from the University of South Carolina. Yeah. Um, then comes the Georgia high school all-star game. Georgia kids playing. He's the MVP of the game. Georgia offers him a scholarship. This is a little different from today, by the way. He uh, goes to his dad and says, Daddy, Georgia offered me a scholarship. And his dad said, didn't you shake hands with those folks from South Carolina? And that was it. He went to South Carolina, and uh, he, he, was a, he was incredible. I mean, we sometimes run into people like this in all forms of endeavor. And he was one of them, is all I can say. One last one from me, Sacco. And that's the 
sort of general, what is Dan's legacy? I mean, I certainly remember him as a running back, and I loved him, a number 30, throwing that ball in the Super Bowl. I'm I mean, not the Super Bowl, in the uh, NFL championship game, Ice Bowl. I remember that well. Um, but I also remember him on the sidelines with the Broncos. I mean, I, I covered the Chargers. I saw you guys twice a year. And I thought, what uh, it just represented to me sort of class and perfection and uh, dignity on the sidelines and handled himself so well. Uh, now that we're looking at him, uh, and Ira will uh, address it probably um, as a possible Hall of Fame contender, which he should be. I mean, he should be. What's he his legacy? Be, yeah. what's, his, what's his legacy? What's Dan's legacy? Well, I'll tell you what he would want his legacy to be. None of those things. His family. We're all familiar with the fact that coaches stay on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday till like 11, 12, even 1 a.m. to work. Yeah. Dan refused to do that. He um, he went home for dinner. And if coaches wished to stay late, and defensive guys sometimes did on their own, they could. But he wouldn't he wouldn't stay late. He believed in having dinner with his family, and then he'd watch video in his den at home. So if you're looking for Dan after five o'clock. Keep looking because he'll be there tomorrow morning. He's not there. He's gone. Um, he also hated it when uh, he had to spend the Saturday night for home games in a hotel, which Tom Landry insisted on. Again, this is very common. Wouldn't we all agree that this happens yes. all the time? Yes. The Broncos were free to be home uh, on the night before a game. Now, as you can imagine, with, with a lot of young players, sometimes they took advantage of that a little bit. But Dan was determined. He said, I'm treating you like men, like I would want to be treated. And uh, they didn't uh, they didn't always uh, appreciate it, but boy, did they play for him. Boy, did they play for Dan Reeves. And to me, that's his legacy. The rest of it is a natural extension of it. You know, like I don't think Bill Belichick's thing is the record. I think the record is because of how Bill is. Mm-hmm. And... uh and these are unusual people. You say, well, anybody can be like this. Well, anybody can't be like this. And, you know, everybody isn't. He was something. Jim, uh, this is the last one from me, Jim. Thanks so much for your time. Uh, good luck up there. Stay safe, my man. Uh, Jim, uh, you mentioned Landry a couple of times. Uh, you, you talked about how um, – Reeves uh, emulated uh, Landry in, in his, his game day dress. But, Jim, you, you were also a, a witness to the uh, relationship between Landry and, and Reeves. And it seems like it's profound, Jim. Uh, talk about it, how it went beyond the wardrobe and how a lot of what Landry uh, taught Reeves uh, shaped him as a coach. Oh, I think so. It, it had to do with values. And, uh, and discipline as well. You know, we're all familiar with the Cowboys' um, uh, situation where the offensive lineman would would uh, get into their stance and then stand and then get back down. That's harder than people think because it might happen 60, 70 times a game. Uh, but but as, uh, as Dan put it reverentially, the old man was absolute about that. Um, you know, when we hired Dan, the, the night before he – the night before his press conference that we announced, announced him and everything, he asked me what our media policy was post-game because Tom Landry would not allow women in the locker room. Mm-hmm. Would not. So what they said was that all the players had to be brought to a, um, a, 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 a interview area. Well, that meant that in the press box, the PR guys had to go around 
and get a list of everybody that the press wanted to talk to. It might be 30 guys for the Cowboys. But then Tom, uh, Tom Landry, he set the rule, but he said, here's who gets the guys. Reeves gets the offensive guys, offensive coordinator. Ernie Stockner, defensive coordinator, gets the defensive guys. Dan was delighted when I told him that, well, here to floor, our policy had been open locker room, and they go in after that. And he, I remember he kind of exhaled and said, boy, I'm sure glad to hear that. First of all, he could set any rule he wanted because I've always said the number one thing when you work for a team is ask the coach. The number two thing is ask the coach again to make sure you're right. And uh, But, uh, you know, when Dan said it was going to be a certain way, it was, and I don't say that in a bad way because it reflected uh, values that were absolute and a way to do things. And, uh, you know, not doing them was was just not even something you'd contemplate. Uh, you know, I have the greatest respect for Dan, and he was a dear, dear friend. And, you know, it occurs to me that now I've got to delete him from my uh, phone list. I may wait a while on that. Yeah. I would say don't delete him. I, I've got the same thing. Numbers of people on my phone list. I don't delete them. I just, I leave them there. And they're reminders yeah. of how much I, I care about them. Uh, Jim Sakamoto, yeah, thanks, so, thanks so much for the time. Uh, stay warm up there in the Arctic Circle. And uh, Gentlemen, our, thank uh, you so much for having me on. And I'm yeah. flattered to be with you guys anytime. Yeah. And, and one last piece of advice. Do what Ira and Ian recommend and what Frank Zappa told us way back when, Jim, don't eat the yellow snow. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll try not to do that, especially since dog sledding is on the agenda. <laughs> oh, good. Thanks, Sako, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Thank you, gentlemen. Take care now. You got it. That was former MVP of Public Relations, Jim Sakamano and Ira. I said this during that interview. I'll be honest with you. I'm befuddled why Dan Reeves isn't in the hall. Uh, particularly when we're moving some others in ahead of him. How about you? That's a that's a big, big total for wins. And it's all about the wins, Clark. It's all about the wins. And he's got a bunch of them, and they're big ones. Um, and, you know, look, he got shelled by the 89 49ers. And you know yeah. what, Clark? That's one of the great teams in NFL history. No question. The 89 49ers. Yeah. So – you know, it was 27 to three at the half. I was there. You were there in New Orleans. And um, I, don't, I, I, don't, I don't blame Dan Reeves for that. They had a bad year after that, Clark, in 1990. I think he went five and 11. And then he bounces back in 91. So a long, distinguished career. It's too bad we can't consider his playing career, Clark. Oh, I know. Talk about him as a coach. He was a good, play. he was um, good player. He was, really a good good player. Player. he was a good um, player. A question I don't necessarily like to ask, but I, but I will because I think it should be asked. What do you think his passing has to do with his chances of going into the hall? Because we've seen how it's facilitated maybe Ken Stabler's um, induction, although I think Snake yeah. was, was going in, Cliff Branches. Sometimes I think it gets people thinking about these individuals where they hadn't before. Do you think this hastens his chances or increases his chances of getting into the hall? Because we have two more years of the coaches category. And one of those, I think, is going to be Buddy Parker. The other's up for grabs. I've got to be honest with you. To me, it'd be Dan Reeves. I think it's enhanced, Clark. I'm, I'm with you on that. Uh, and it's a shame because if you're going to put a man in, put him in while he's there to, uh, to look at that bust. You know, look, you, you got Holmgren, you got Schottenheimer, 
you, you, you got some other people. And then there's going to be people that are coming up um, behind them. You know, the Coughlins of the world, uh, Clark. So I think Reeves has a very good chance uh, in the next two years to get in. A shame uh, about his passing and the timing of it. I agree with you 100%. That's going to do it. Ira, even though it's a new year, I assume you're at the same address on Twitter. And what is that? At iKaufman76. And uh, we're leaving tomorrow. We're going to go see the Southern Lights, Clark. The Southern Lights. Where are they? <laughs> Miami Beach, my friend. Oh, no. <laughs> Ian, uh, you're going to go see the Southern Lights? And if you're not, where can we find you on Twitter? Oh, maybe South St. Pete, but certainly not down in Miami <laughs> Beach. That's a little bit too far for me. But uh, you can uh, you can find me on Twitter, making the case for Tom Brady for MVP this season, at IGLEN31. I look for you there, and I'm at Clark Judge TOF. And if you don't find us there, as usual, you can find us here again, again this week. Again. That's right. It's our New Year's two-for-one special. Again, this week when we return to the Hall of Fame finalist, Billy Anderson. We'll see you then, and thanks for listening.